I did step away from it when anxiety and panic became sort of like the ruler of my life. Yeah. So there was a time where I, I sort of um, left it, hid from it, um, tried to manage it thinking, oh, if I just stop performing. Well, then I couldn't talk at church. I couldn't talk in front of small groups. I couldn't do anything yeah. like that. Do not run from what gives you anxiety because if being on TV gives you anxiety, you can avoid that. But what happens is it's a slippery slope. Pretty soon it becomes speaking in front of a small group. It becomes leaving your house. It becomes taking care of your child by yourself and a lot of really scary things. Okay. Hi, folks. Welcome to the Undo Anxiety Podcast. I'm Dr. John Duffy. I am your host today. Um, and I am very excited to have my guest with me, Molly Faye. Welcome. Thank you so much. Excited to join you on your podcast. So excited that you're on my podcast. So Molly is a, a superstar. Molly is a lifestyle and TV host here in Milwaukee, where I have the privilege of, of talking with her. Um, we just uh, recorded an episode of her television show, The Morning Blend, that airs every weekday morning. Yep, here 9 in Milwaukee. to 10 a.m. Check it out because it is so good, and Molly is so good and so natural. If you ever get a chance to get on the air and talk with Molly, man, you want to do that. <laughs> Thanks, um, John. I appreciate it. Yeah, so it's awesome. So, the nature of the gig here, Molly, is we are talking about the things that drive anxiety. And I mean, anxiety in the broadest sense of the word, right? Okay. So, um, you know, some of us get anxious um, about job interviews, some of us get anxious about our lives, our kids, parenting, um, all sorts of different things. And I think the more we tell our stories, uh, share our ideas, the less anxious globally most of us are going to be. So with that in mind, tell us a little bit about your story of anxiety, your harrowing story of anxiety and how you made your way through it. Okay. Uh, well, I love the the title of your podcast, Undo Anxiety. I think it's, it's wonderful. And I think, unfortunately, way too many people experience anxiety. And I'm one of them. Uh, the thing that makes me sad is that so many kids these days are yeah. experiencing anxiety. And I know you talk to them every day in your office. They sit on your couch and they, they tell you very personal things. My personal story is something that I now share because I feel it's important. And I also think that by sharing our stories, just like what you said, we can help other people. So I had extreme anxiety when I was in my 30s, and it started out of the blue. I don't know if that's true for a lot of people, but actually my first um, episode was a, a true full-on panic attack. Harrowing. I mean, about oh. the worst thing you can experience, especially if it surprises you, right? Yeah, it came out of the blue. I didn't have what they call generalized anxiety, so that, you know, kind of uneasy feeling in the pit of your stomach. And I was also working at the time. I was on the air doing news, and out of the blue, I had a full-on panic attack where I was out of breath, my heart was racing, I felt... Uh, very lost. And a lot of people can identify with a panic attack, even if they've never had, you know, true episodes with anxiety. Most right. people probably have. But a panic attack out of the blue, it was very scary for me. I was um, raising a family. I had one daughter at the time, a fairly newborn baby. And my job was not just important to me professionally, and it was my career, but I was bringing home a paycheck and supporting a, a house, a mortgage, food, you know, all of those things. And, and your job is different than a lot of ours in that 
it's not just one or two people who are witnessing your panic attack or your anxiety. It, it, there are hundreds and thousands, uh, right? I mean, that's got to add an extra element to it. And when we watch you, and I didn't, you know, I wasn't watching you then, but when I sit with you now, you are you seem like the last person who would carry a strong degree of anxiety. Yeah, and I think that's that's sort of the. I don't know the 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 confusing part about it yeah. is here all my life I'd taken for granted that I could perform that I could do you know just get in front of a camera and talk right um, read news copy things like that so it was it was um, very scary very frightening and in the end I started getting um, help uh, mm-hmm. I saw a psychotherapist started getting talk therapy actually had to go on medication so I took medication for anxiety I also took sedatives so I I was doing a morning show I'd get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I'd start taking sedatives wow. and I would feel sick to my stomach like I can't go to work and the, the, the worse it got the more medication I'd have to take and anybody who's familiar with these types of medications knows it's you know these sedatives are hard to you know to, to manage when you're trying to carry on a job or whatever right and you get accustomed to them right, and then you feel like okay, I, I I think I need a little bit more to take that edge off so that I can get on the air in a little while. Yeah, absolutely. So uh. it got to the point where I wasn't able to manage the panic attacks, and they started happening more frequently. Uh, I started asking more questions and getting more help, but in the end, I left my job. So I left a news job and went into to sales, and that's when I changed to a different station, um, and decided I, my life needed to be off camera because I couldn't manage this. So for I. I would say close to 10 years on and off, I struggled with anxiety. So even once I started going back to television and doing the morning blend, which you've been a guest on, I still was struggling with anxiety and panic attacks. See, that's, it's the scariest kind of anxiety to me because it's not apparent, you know, like that's, Mm -hmm. um, so, so you can suffer for a very long time without anybody really knowing unless you're really open and upfront about it. Take me back for just a minute, Molly. So you, you describe, you know, those that, that early anxiety moment where you had that full-blown panic attack um, and it came out of the blue, which panic attacks tend to do. Mm-hmm. What do you think brought that on? Like, why then? Why then in your life? You know, that I, I think that's so much clearer in hindsight than uh-huh. it was at the time. Um, I had a difficult relationship with the, the person I was doing news with. I felt a lot of pressure. He had a lot of seniority. I felt sort of inexperienced and sort of got lucky that I got that job. Oh, man. So that was part of it. Um, yeah. I had a newborn baby. I had a horrible schedule. So getting up, I think, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I think, is difficult for a lot of people. I never really adjusted to that. Yeah. Um, the year before I had panic attacks, I also lost a brother to suicide. And as I look back on it, I think um, his battle with mental illness, which we were not aware of, weighed heavily on my heart and my mind and all that kind of thing. And, and I think that just being a, a, a career a new mom, having a really difficult schedule, a lot of stress at work, and then having a personal um, loss um, mm. like that was kind of like a, a lethal mix, so to speak, for anxiety and panic attacks. It almost seems inevitable. Um, I, I have chills a little bit. You and I talked years ago about your brother, mm-hmm. and um, and I wasn't particularly self-disclosing at the time, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but I also lost a brother to suicide. I didn't know yeah. that. Um, and, uh, and I tend toward anxiety. Do you think there's something about, like with my brother Tom, when he was a kid, he had gotten in enough trouble and there was enough signs that something was not quite right that 
I was worried for 20 years that that day was going to happen. And, um, and the fact that it happened didn't relieve that much anxiety. What was, if I can ask, what was that like for you? Yeah, that's, that's so fascinating the way you put that. Because a lot of people say, did you see signs? Did you know that he was ill? So he wasn't treated or diagnosed or on medication, in our case, for a mental illness. I think looking back, he definitely had depression, probably was bipolar also. Yeah. Um, but there were signs. He, he did get in trouble sometimes, crashed a car, was in trouble once with the law, had trouble staying in college, a smart guy, a really nice guy, a good-looking guy. Mm-hmm. But I think he he had a mental illness that just didn't get the attention it deserved, and we weren't aware of it. Right. And um, I think that, that, that when it happened and I found out about it, I was shocked and surprised, but I, it also was like, hmm, I, I – I, I maybe could have seen it coming through all the years growing up because we were so close in age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, and, and that, um, I don't know if you call that survivor guilt. I do in Absolutely. my case. And, it, and, and it's hard to not go back and revise history and think, oh, man, if I had only made that last phone call or, you know, reached out to him or recognize that sign that day, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think you replay so many things and, and think that you could have and should have done more. And I think that the they talk about survivors of suicide. And I think it's unlike any other death, you know, cancer or someone's killed in an automobile accident or, or whatever it might be. Those things are understandable. But when it's a suicide and, and someone seems to have made the choice yes. to end their life, it's very painful for the, the people who loved that person. Yeah, no kidding, right? Right. Um, and, yeah. and this idea that suicide is a selfish act. Uh, oh, right. Don't get me started. What do you oh, think? That's so hard. Oh, gosh. <laughs> OK, so, yeah. I mean, I had people after he died say, should I say I'm sorry? Um, and your brother was so selfish. And mm-hmm. how could he do that to you and your family? Right. And a lot of people do go through anger, people close to that person. I never went through a stage of anger and still don't feel anger. And part of it is because I just felt so bad for him that he was struggling so much and that we really didn't know about it. Right. And I've gotten better at, at, at being at accepting that some questions just won't have the answers that I'm looking for. Right. Being okay with unanswered questions, I think, happens. Because I, I do think he knew that, that we loved him, and that gives me some assurance. Yeah. Um, but gosh, the, the selfish thing, I mean, you know, John, I think people who take their, their own life are just so poor in spirit. They're just, they just don't see a way out. And they're experiencing the kind of physical, emotional, mental pain that I can't, even with the anxiety and panic, and I reach some really low points. Mm-hmm. But I don't even think I can come close to understanding the, the anguish that my brother Mike was feeling at the time that he killed himself. It's interesting. It, it does feel like one of those things where it's either in your vernacular, something that you can imagine doing or not at all, even mm-hmm. on your worst day, you know? Yeah. And it sounds like despite the fact that you were siblings and, and I could feel the same way, never crossed my mind, not once. Yeah. And it sounds like it hasn't crossed yours either. No. And I yeah. mean, there are times where, like I said, I've felt low and I've gone through difficult things as we all have. Right. Um, but no, no, I mean, and, and people, I talked to a girl who was 15 who'd been planning her own suicide for years. She'd been reading about it and thinking about it and, and, and wanted to end the pain that she was in, not necessarily die. And there's a difference, but end the pain that she was feeling. I, I've never been there in my life. And I'm so grateful that mm-hmm. I haven't had that 
that kind of mental and emotional anguish. But yet I've had enough with anxiety and panic attacks that I can understand what how it feels to be sort of desperate and sort of miserable and like like you don't have the the quality of life that you deserve because I think joy is sort of our our right and our privilege but sometimes it's hard to to latch on to it you know and you give the for, for those of you who don't know Molly tune into the morning blend and you'll get to know her a little bit better but you do not give off this this idea that you don't experience joy in fact you seem like a a person who exudes joy and you're so charismatic and you know I, when when you walk out on that set at eight seconds to nine o'clock. <laughs> Don't tell my boss. <laughs> okay. It's always in my review. Edit, edit that, Scott. Um, uh, but, um, you know, you always seem exuberant. I mean, and um, and it, it kind of almost takes my breath away. Like, wow, you're just like ready to go. It, does that take a lot of doing or is that your natural state? You know, uh, <clears throat> both. Um there are times where I'm not so exuberant. I think it's a, it's a great question because part of my job is ha- bringing a certain amount of energy to that hour that I do the show. Yeah. But I will also say a lot of people in my personal life will also say I seem like a very joyful person. A lot of people maybe even think I have it all kind of together. I don't feel like I have it all together the way that, that maybe people perceive. But I do think uh, on the anxiety note, I think that's why – for people who are in performance positions, and I'm talking about um, teachers who perform, in my opinion, in front of a class, uh, pastors who perform in front of a church, and not just TV people who right. are doing the news or doing a talk show like I am, uh, uh, lecturers, uh, professors. I mean, I could go on and on, psychologists even, too, um, or business people who have anxiety because they speak in front of a group of professionals or peers. We Many of us have performance-related jobs where you wouldn't necessarily – it's not always TV. But I think anxiety often comes out in panic attacks, which visited me um, – in the performance part of our lives because that is stressful. Even if you're like me and you do it for years and you take it for granted, there's a certain amount of energy and enthusiasm and adrenaline that goes into doing it. And it doesn't surprise me one bit that that's where anxiety attacked me. And it has made me um, uh, appreciate things more, but it's also made me an incredibly humble, grateful person. And I think that's, if there's something I... Because I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, too. And so I come to joy honestly, I feel like. But I think if there's anything that people pick up, if it's being humble, being grateful, and being joyful, that Mm -hmm. makes me – and that's a whole other podcast, sorry. But that makes me very happy. So thank you for saying that. (laughs) Yeah. And and anxiety is such a tricky thing. The the one thing I want to say, if I could – and this is going to sound like uh, an advertisement for cognitive behavioral therapy. Go for it. But I believe in it so strongly. It was, for me, the answer to getting my life back. I've had people very close to me, including one of my children, experience anxiety – Everybody has anxiety, but but once it starts to interfere with their daily activities in their daily life, in my opinion, they need some type of help. I would recommend professional help. You need to do something about it because it's just not – you're not going to be able to move forward as you should. I'm a huge fan of cognitive behavioral therapy. A lot of people believe strongly in medication. I feel like medication is a slippery slope. I'm sorry to say that for for everybody who's on it. And and I'm not against medication because it helped me at one time too. But I feel like until you learn the tools to not control and hypermanage your anxiety – 
but work through ways to understand it, accept it, and then sort of make peace with it. Mm. Then you get your life back. Yeah, man. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, um, you know, I'm really reluctant on, on medication as well. So I usually say if the medication serves the therapy Absolutely. for a brief period of time, go for it. But if you're looking for um, a Xanax or a Clonopin or some of these sedatives to cure your problem long term, you're going to run into trouble. Eventually, that's not going to work for you. And that's not the best story you can write, right? Mm -hmm. there, there's ways to overcome this. So I have a couple quick, quick questions for you yeah. before we finish up here. Okay. So for somebody who experiences anxiety in the public eye, which is painful. It seems ex especially painful, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and for most of us, it's pretty avoidable, right? You yeah. can like, you know, you can leave this grocery store, but you can't walk off the set. How do you choose this living of all things to do if you are an anxious person? That's such a great question. And I have been asked that a few times before. I did step away from it when anxiety and panic became sort of like the ruler of my life. Yeah. So there was a time where I, I sort of... Um, left it, hid from it, um, tried to manage it thinking, oh, if I just stop performing. Well, then I couldn't talk at church. I couldn't talk in front mm. of small groups. I couldn't do anything yeah. like that. So exposure to something that gave me anxiety was the key because uh, uh, things that you're afraid of don't get easier by um, lack of exposure, I believe it's only through exposure to the things we're afraid of, within reason, right. that get us on track to where we need to be. So it was important to me, almost like a sense of accomplishment, to be able to return to performing on television. And I'm so unbelievably grateful to to say that now I do it on a day-to-day -day basis with zero anxiety. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I, I'm this close to wanting to stand up and applaud that <laughs> because, you know, that, that exposure, first of all, it takes such courage, right? Doesn't it? I mean, yeah. to Thank walk you. out there every day, especially in the wake of you know, not that long ago, I had a panic attack. Um, I can imagine over time you realize, okay, I've exposed myself enough to this where even if I get anxious in real time, I can control it. But there had to be some moments that took extreme courage on your behalf, right? Yeah. And some of it is saying it's okay to just show up and not be yeah. great and not be 100% or not be funny or not be even look that great. Right, um, right. And that's there, that exists in TV. But it, it, accepting less than what my idea of being perfect was a huge part of overcoming this for me. Okay. So I have, and this is a true curiosity I have. Um, I was working with a, a man today, a very accomplished guy, who if I told you his name, I think you would know it. Um, and he said um, he is so anxious and gets so panicky so frequently that joy is not part of his vernacular. Mm -hmm. It just isn't in his life. And yet you're saying, I come to joy pretty honestly. And there was a time in my life I had no joy. Yeah. Is that part of your question? Yeah. I had no sense of humor. I had no joy. I couldn't take a hot bath. It was uncomfortable. I couldn't. Wow. I know you don't drink alcohol, but I couldn't have enjoy a beer, a glass uh -huh. of wine. I couldn't do anything that would alter my my state in any way. I couldn't do anything that would make me dizzy. I couldn't run fast. I couldn't get in a car. I was afraid to leave my house. I mean, I get the. I mean, what is that when you can't leave your house? It, it, Agoraphobia. Yeah, yeah. I I, I was real close to wow. not stepping outside my house. So yeah. I it 
became very serious. And um, I get the no joy part. Here's the thing is you have to figure out a way to get the joy back. And I can guarantee you that it's not with more medication. I'm not going to be anti-medication. I know that's very controversial. But you have to figure out you got to get the tools. You've got to have a box and you've got to put the tools in there. And it starts with breathing and yeah. for me praying and some other things. But you've got to put the right things in the toolbox so that you can get the joy back. Oh, I love everything about that. That is just fundamentally true. So last question. Uh, You're doing your TED Talk about anxiety, and you're talking to somebody who's in the thick of it, who's just, you know, miserable, having panic attacks daily, um, agoraphobic, afraid to go out, just not feeling that joy. Um, If you had to tell them, here's the next right step to take. Do you you have an answer for that? Do you know what that is? Yes. Um, Gosh, there's so many great right next steps because praying was such a big part of it for me and saying I'm not in control. Mm -hmm. So that was huge. But I also recognize that that's not going to maybe be the answer for everybody. So I'll answer it this way. I cannot overemphasize what I believe is the value, the extreme value of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy by a trained professional therapist who specifically has that. It's You do homework. It's work. A lot of uh, psychologists, I think maybe you can comment on this, believe sure. in it, but they're not trained in that specific because uh, there's you know there's homework and there's steps and there's exposure yes so they walk you through that okay so I'm gonna say so the people I love that's that's what I that's the first step is CBT with a trained professional period but the other thing I would say is do not run from what gives you anxiety because if being on TV gives you anxiety, you can avoid that. But what happens is it's a slippery slope. Pretty soon it becomes speaking in front of a small group. It becomes leaving your house. It becomes taking care of your child by yourself and a lot of really scary things. Anxiety is so clever that way, right? It, it is. It will find the lowest denominator and it will it will attack you there. So if you take it- will It will blank you up. Absolutely. It yes. will blank you up, man. It will. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I love your comments on CBT. I am a big endorser of it. And effectively, for those of you who are not aware of it, like Molly said, it's cognitive behavioral therapy. It addresses the way you look at your anxiety, and it changes the behavior that you exhibit around your anxiety. And a lot of it has to do with this courageous exposure to what you fear most. But if you're willing to exhibit that courage, man, you will you will get past that anxiety. And it might mean that it might not mean that you're never anxious again. But you're under control. Yes, and there are times where I experience a little anxiety, sure. and now I'm not afraid of it. Oh, because it's a you know it's a vicious circle. Sure, sure. Thank yeah. you so much for joining me, it's and my I'm going gonna, gonna to take just a second to give you some credit. Um, I had never done anything remotely like being on television before. So I wrote this book a few years ago, and somebody said, "Oh, you should go to this morning blend show." And 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 Molly was kind enough to invite me up here to Milwaukee to be on this show. And it has been the greatest joy of the last five years of my life. So I'm so grateful to Aww. you for consistently inviting me up here. Um, so thank you so much. Absolutely. And you're you're a joy to have on the show. And you are a TV pro. You were the day you first sat on the yellow couch, you're a TV pro. Well, there was anxiety that day too, <laughs> I can promise you. Um, the great Molly Faye, 
Thank you so much. And um, as guys, as usual, you can find uh, the Undo Anxiety podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, LiveLeadPlay.com, and WGN Plus. If you or anybody you know would like to be on the podcast or you know somebody who would, uh, write me at John G. Duffy at drjohnduffy.com. On behalf of the great Molly Fay and myself, thank you. I, um, I thank you and I look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks. 